Welcome to Dashway Talks, a show powered by Dashway Consulting, a China-based strategic market research company founded in 2010. Hi, everyone. My name is Steve Hopkins. I've been operating within the Chinese fintech industry for the past several years,、uh, working at Chinese hedge funds, robo advisors, cryptocurrency investment banks, and wealth tech startups across mainland and Hong Kong. I've been studying Chinese language and culture for the past ten plus years, and the co-founder of the China Guys. TCG is a firm full of professional Chinese watch, China watchers that track regulatory, economic, and policy updates within China's business landscape, and present them in digestible, bite-sized pieces through newsletters and research articles. For clients with more specialized needs, we also provide tailored consultative services within the Chinese market. We're newly started, but I would love if anyone listening to this would check us out at thechinaguys.com. I'm excited to be presenting this、uh, talk for Dostray Consulting,、uh, and let's get started. Who is driving fintech in China? Large institutions, SMEs, or startups? So it's a difficult question to answer. Because China is very special, and that the government dictates、uh, where it's going to direct a lot of its capital investment towards,、uh, there's a lot of innovation happening all across the spectrum from top to bottom. So、uh, we can just break it down by section. Large institutions have the governmental connections, the resources, and the, the operational scope、uh, to build and scale innovative products really quickly. Not only do they drive innovation in-house through organic product development, but they also、uh, play a pretty important role in injecting liquidity within the startup environment through, you know, typical investment positions and mergers and acquisition.、Uh, particularly over here in Hong Kong,、uh, where I'm based out of, a lot of the chatter lately has been about、uh, the first eight digital banking licenses being awarded. Uh, to some of the banks and fintech players over from mainland that are trying to break into the Hong Kong banking market. So, of these first ever aid licenses issued, seven are at least majority owned, if not fully owned, by Chinese institutions like An Financial, Xiaomi, Tencent, Jingdong, all of those. And so, what's very interesting about this are that you know a lot of these firms are not only coming from traditional financial institution backgrounds. But they're also just playing、uh, fintech startups,、uh, their e-commerce companies, basically the companies that have a lot of governmental connections, a lot of resources, and a lot of capital just sitting around that they can allocate or keep for capital reserves, etc.、Um, so you know, besides that, another staggering figure that I came across was Ant Financial, which is the fintech investment spinoff of、uh, Alibaba. Accounted for 35% of total global、um, global capital investment in fintech firms in 2018, which shows that a there's a crazy amount of focus going on right now、uh, within China for fintech investment, and b that some of these bigger players have an insane amount of resources to leverage in whatever direction that they want to. Uh, by contrast, moving on to the the next stage,、uh, we'll jump over to startups. China is pretty unique,、uh, where most startups and smaller companies have a lot of operational and regulatory breathing room when it comes to product development and product testing. 
Uh, and of course, you know, this helps by reducing the barriers to entry, encourages either rightly or wrongly experimental business models, products, and services. Uh, it's a pretty risky approach by the central government uh, to allow this sort of operational gray area, operational breathing room, whatever you want to call it. But ultimately, it's resulted in a pretty flourishing fintech startup community. Uh, and so an example of this would be the cryptocurrency industry. Depending which study you look at, uh, Chinese investors account for anywhere between 60 to 80% of total crypto investment. And even after the Chinese uh, central government's ban on crypto investing, uh, crypto trading, will be one of the uh, largest crypto exchanges that operates primarily within the mainland for mainland investors, however you want to put it. Um, they experienced a period where they were opening accounts for 200,000 plus customers an hour, which is an absolutely staggering figure. Uh, and besides this, many of the largest cryptocurrency mining companies, uh, public chain companies uh, are either Chinese companies themselves or they have their roots over in China and then um, you know, once they got to scale, they moved offshore, but still continue to service Chinese clients. What role do SMEs play in China's fintech scene? Uh, so I guess that leaves the, the last of the three groups, uh, SMEs. And SMEs within China are where it gets a little bit more complex. Uh, they probably get the short end of the stick, so to say. A lot of SMEs in China are, are pretty much work, walking on a tightrope. And so a common saying over in China within their fintech circle is when you're small and unnoticed, you can do what you like. Once you're big enough to get noticed, you can still do what you like. Uh, and so, you know, the logic behind there is that you have that sort of experimental and trial period where you can test out your products, see if there's a fit. And then once you, you know, if you're one of those lucky few that scale up, get really big, then you have the resources, you have the influence, et cetera, to be able to keep on living. But SMEs kind of operate in that middle awkward teenage stage. And that's where in China, you're at the most risk. And you can take a very common example where a uh, very well-known example uh, that a lot of people all across the world have heard of. Um, and the P2P lender, Dianrong. They start off as a small Chinese P2P lending firm, uh, but quickly exploded. So at their peak, they reached over 5,000 employees, were providing $500 million USD and loans every month for 4 million borrowers. Uh, but unfortunately, the company quickly found itself within, uh, I guess you could put it as the crosshairs of Chinese officials, uh, and they had a conflict of interest there uh, between the central government and their own business, vested business interests. And so the result of that is over almost overnight, uh, the government enacted a few policies, made it very operationally difficult for Dianrong to continue operating. And almost overnight, the company had to lay off 2,000 plus employees. And, you know, to date still has its uh, very existence threat. So these are some of the, uh, I, I don't know if you can necessarily say that one section of this between large institutions, SMEs, or small, more innovative fintech firms 
are driving innovation in China. I think it's more like uh, it's an ecosystem that all sorts of plays off each other, you know. The large institutions provide much-needed capital and liquidity to the fintech startups, who are testing out these experimental products, who go through this awkward growing stage and eventually turn into those very large institutions that provide the opportunities to begin. Is there room for foreign companies in China's fintech ecosystem? It's a good question,、um, and, and I'll be pretty direct with this. At lower levels of operation. Um, before you've really reached a high level of exposure of influence, there's definitely room for foreign players.、Um, it is a difficult operating environment, particularly like we discussed, because you've got cultural barriers, you've got language barriers, etc.、Um, and so, the issue is that once a foreign fintech startup reaches a certain point of scale,、um, that's when it kind of becomes tricky to. Navigate China's、uh, more politically charged financial industry,、uh, and so you know China has made huge strides in opening up their financial industry to foreign players within the past couple of years, particularly. But they've still got a、uh, long ways to go, and so the typical solution that a lot of these foreign fintech players、uh, take is their approach once they reach that certain threshold. Is to collaborate with, you know, a partner Chinese firm, separate operations between China domestic operations and international operations, and obviously, while this can be a daunting task, any firm that reaches that stage and sees the potential can、uh, would realistically have the resources and the connections to to do something. But I would say for ninety nine percent of the players、um, within the international fintech community. A, the majority of them realize that China's market, while it offers a lot of opportunity, is pretty daunting、uh, unless you have, you know, a, a trusted partner that you、uh, that can help bring you over to the Chinese market. And B,、uh, even the ones that do, I think that they probably, the vast majority of them, don't reach the level of success where they would really、uh, reach this. Existential threat to them by by again this sort of politically driven、uh, financial industry. Any questions? We will find an expert to answer them. Drop your questions in the comments or send us an email. Dx at dashwayconsulting dot com.